Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of season 2 of the Kitabi Karwan podcast. And uh, today we have with us Achal Malhotra, the amazing author of Remnants of a Separation. Before we delve into this mind-blowing podcast, let me tell you this is one of the most candid conversations I've ever had with an author. Uh and the only issue with this podcast is there are slight sound issues that keep happening because of some construction work happening at my place and as archel explains in her interview because of where she lives but regardless of that this is one of the most bare interviews an author has ever made about her writing process and what she goes through while writing a book of this magnitude and something that is so unique uh i don't really want to take a lot away from you so without any further ado here we go hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the kitabi karwan podcast we have with us archal malhotra the absolutely stunning author of remnants of a separation and uh she has another book coming out which we'll talk about soon but uh archal to kick this off uh, i have a very uh, i have a question which i ask every author who comes on the podcast right so i want you to tell us something about yourself which is not available on the internet or on the jacket of your book something that your readers won't know about you or can't find out about from taking on the internet something personal about me that not is not available not necessarily something personal to you but just something about you that you know your readers might like to know about you which they might not um i have a very different routine when i'm writing and when i'm doing research uh i don't think i ever talk about this nobody asks about the process of putting a book together everyone wants to know about the contents when i do research it's usually during the day and it's usually all over the city because i'm a field researcher but when i write i almost always only write seriously write from the hours of 10:30 pm to 3 am yeah because i live well it's kind of a circumstance issue i live at a t junction in delhi which is usually very loud during the day and uh, it's the only hours where you can think to yourself because when i write i read every single sentence out loud i i do all the voices i do all the accents if i can and i i, I like i think if you listen to what you're writing it will read naturally to your reader as well So that's the only time I can I can do that which is also why I never write in public places. That's that's fascinating. And actually that's uh that's actually the point of this entire podcast right. I really want to get to know the author's writing process and what goes with the author's head. And that's why I actually made a conscious choice when I received your email you mentioned this in your or uh, the first correspondence we had about how you would like that something that you're fascinated by. And I made a conscious choice to not like read your entire book in one go. I made you know i'm still not done with the entire bit because i didn't want our conversation to be precipitated by what the contents of the book are right so but that uh, before i get into your writing process i want to know about your next book like you mentioned uh, you may i think you tweeted about it recently a couple, i think a few weeks back and can you just tell us a bit more about it yeah uh, so for uh, for the last many years i have been working on eyewitness accounts of partition but what i notice is sometimes in those interviews when you're sitting with people if their children or grandchildren are sitting with them and us during the conversation their reactions to what is being said are always very interesting because generally maybe they'll know some parts of it and maybe they'll know some parts better than others but quite often they don't know the whole story and so if i am discovering something so are their family and i really uh, found that idea quite interesting and so over the years when i have done interviews where there have been subsequent generations sitting with us i've always recorded them separately also how do you feel when did you first hear this story uh what are your thoughts about partition does it affect you do you think it's relevant and so this next book it's titled in the language of remembering is going to be out in august and it looks at the second and third generation sometimes the fourth generation of partition affected families to see whether whether the word is relevant whether it affects people you know it's it's all it's it's very moving when you speak to someone who's lived through partition and they're recounting their memories and you can see that they're still very strong in their minds and the wound is still very fresh but it's not always the case for subsequent generations some people are more affected by others some like for instance 
I feel like I am more affected and also kind of obsessed with partition in a way that my parents are absolutely not. And so this generational difference is also quite interesting and the reasons for why that happens. Uh, so there are interviews with Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, people from the diaspora, people who have not been affected by partition at all, but seem moved by what has happened, just to see whether the word is still relevant and whether we should still be talking about it. This book has a very fascinating premise, right? But uh, obviously it has that common string of partition connecting the two, the first book and the second one. So what was it exactly that drove you towards part writing towards partition? Like I know, I mean, was there a particular obsession during the childhood? Did you read about it? Like all your family stories? And uh, the second question that I want to get to is, uh, actually I would debate on that. I would first want to talk from you on this. I never heard any stories growing up. I don't think I ever did. The word we did hear a lot was refugee. And it wasn't, uh, and even, you know, because I come from a Punjabi family, so it wasn't like the word refugee, the word was refugee. Like it was, even the way it was pronounced was so weird. And that was because my grandparents, uh, paternal and maternal, had come from across the border. Yes, of course, but my paternal grandfather owned a bookshop in a refugee market. So it was always like, refugee market hai, refugee the, you know, and, and actually we tried very hard to to shed that title because for a long time it felt like a very derogatory title. So I, I grew up, you know, a refugee business. You, you know, Punjabis became sort of the post-partition entrepreneurs of, of Delhi in specific, right? The area of Delhi. So I used to hear that word refugee growing up and I don't know why I never asked more about it. I never questioned anything when I was young. And so my first encounter, my beginning with uh, partition was when I was 23 years old. So 23 years had conveniently passed before I actually asked any questions about what happened. It feels like a really long time, especially if you're a scholar of that subject now. And uh, my encounter was with objects, which is of course the book we will talk about. Uh, but I think that that's a very, that, that was a means to an end. The object was a means to get to the end of knowledge about partition. And the, the larger encompassing aim, of course, was that if I don't know anything, then the generation that comes after me and the generation that comes after them will not know anything either. In fact, they'll know even less than I do because of how much information or misinformation is uh, propagated through the media. And it affects how we perceive the event and perceive the other and perceive our neighbor. And so I think that a lot of what I do is also to make other people my age interested in the subject of partition and also to show people how it is possible to be separate as India and Pakistan are, but at the same time to be civil and kind and empathetic. And this is this is quite fascinating for me to hear because uh, partition in itself is a very passionate topic for anyone who either gets involved in it or knows about it, and for Indians in general. Right? And it's really fascinating to know that you were 23 when you, you know, when this interest or passion in you. It's a bit embarrassing to admit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's 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 kind of. Uh, I mean, just if I just step back for a second, and I'm just talking for a potential author or as someone who wishes to write in the future, I think it's a very refreshing thing to know. Simply because uh, there's this perception out there that people can only, you know, be passionate about things that they've been passionate about their whole life. And, you know, this discovery, this idea of discovering something that really drives them towards something and does not happen later in your life. So at 23 is quite late into a person's life. Like by then you're ideally supposed to have your things figured out. So that's great. Like that's... I did not have anything. And I mean... I didn't have anything figured out by then. And I'm, I'm sure you know that I didn't even study history or literature. Yeah. So it was a complete, uh, complete landscape shift for me. Even that, even that, like, I mean, that's, that's also a very important thing. I think people need to know because uh, people have this tendency, you know, you finish your engineering or your CA or your law or whatever you're doing. And then you just, oh, I don't, I don't think I can do something else. I don't think I can become a historian just because I've done an engineer. I mean, things are possible and it's really great to know that. But uh, coming to the second point you mentioned about how you need to be kind and there is, 
to our neighbors and that's brings me to an experience i had like you know i've had the opportunity to meet a few people from pakistan uh, over the years through like different school events or like college events and one thing that's always always stood out to me is been how they are absolutely similar to us like in, not just in terms of the way we talk or the way we go about things but in their life experiences their daily interactions with people in their cities or wherever they are so yeah it's just something that i often think about which i i don't know why we expect them to be any different how it's a bit i feel a bit silly because when i was going to pakistan for the first time i don't think i had any fear in me there was no fear that tum pakistan ja rahe ho ye hoga wo hoga i i was just a bit like curious about what people would be and then once i got there and interacted with even a single person you feel really silly for thinking are why would they be any different from you exactly like i think and i think yehi problem hai ki we are brought up to think you know and as you mentioned like the media puts it out in a certain way you grow up thinking about pakistan and for it to an extent bangladesh also as an other nation you know the one like somewhat pakistan is the enemy bangladesh was born out of pakistan you're just forced to continuously think by either the media or by even when you're reading about it right you never thought about lahore as in your geography lessons it's just something a part of the other country you thought about australia you thought about america and you study almost every other country in the world except like pakistan so there's this i think information firewall that's drawn for people so that when you, in general prop, setting out a propaganda is easier and i think that that makes that first interaction you have with a pakistani citizen ever a very unique one simply because like are ye to hamare jaise hai ekdam hamare jaise hai and that and i think also that happens uh, sorry to cut you off uh, that happens a lot when people go abroad to study or they go abroad for a holiday like in the states in canada in the uk and then suddenly you know um someone says ki tu si kahan se ho and are you from india are you from pakistan and in that moment the, where you are from doesn't really matter what matters is that they speak the same language as you they eat the same food as you they have the same experiences as you do and there is a kinship but i think that this is really augmented in uh, you, you need to banish the border you know in in, in order like and i i don't want to uh, I love this phrase banish the border and my friend Karuna Parekh who's just come up with a wonderful novel says it often in her uh, interviews because she has a love story with an Indian and a Pakistani that happened in in the UK and she says that she needed to banish the border in order for actual conversation to happen and I think that's this heartbreaking that we need to go to a third external place to actually meet people who are our own so uh Actually, just to pivot back to your uh, writing process. So you mentioned in your book and while during this interview as well that you, for your, uh, for a lack of a better word, subjects of people who you're interviewing, you go to them, you talk to them, you record their interviews. So, so something that I've realized in my life is that well, there are certain things, and especially the violence or the experiences that people experience during partition on either side of the border. are something are deeply personal issues or deeply personal memories which they not really may or may not be very open to talk about but most a lot of people aren't right but if your books are any evidence that people clearly felt very comfortable talking to you about a lot of things about what they experienced what they went through so can you just describe this process for us i mean you go to them and how is it that you get them to be that open with you or to open up about such a deeply personal issue of their life trusting a complete stranger and to tell their story just the way it is or in a way that is fair to them i guess i think you've outlined my objectives in your question um my when i go first of all like how do you get the interview how do you find people uh it is always one or two degrees of separation sometimes more which means that i know someone who knows someone who knows someone who's connected me to someone else it can be through physical people that i know it can be through social media which has happened a lot but i always know a context to the person so um they always know also that i'm coming to talk about partition they know it and we must remember that these people are quite old right they are usually in the twilight years of their life 75 and above and if they have agreed for me to come to their house it is safe to assume that they have agreed to speak about partition 
to the extent that they will divulge certain details on the onset. But obviously, we don't know how deep you can actually go until you're there. So um, I have spoken maybe once or twice about this method, T-junction. Uh, I've spoken a, a few times, uh, not often enough, I think, about this plateau method that I use in, in uh, interviews, which means that if you want your interviewee to get to a particular place of vulnerability for you, then you need to do the same, right? And you both need to meet at the same level, which means that you have to be open to ask, uh, answering questions about your life. And more than often, they will ask. They'll ask, right. aapki family ke kya hua tha? Yeah, why are you so interested in this? You're so young. I was expecting someone older. This happens a lot, of course. Um, but I think that we need to, uh, you need to spend the time to create a bit of comfort because I'm not there to record an experience for recording's sake. No, I am there to actually study the way memory works and why there has been a silence of partition memory, specifically partition memory. So my questions will not be surface questions like what happened, what did you see? Yes, those questions will be there, but they will also be further augmented by things like, what were you wearing? Or what? how did you meet your husband? Or how did you do your hair? Because what I'm trying to understand is what the landscape of undivided India was like. So how people lived, what they ate, what they read, who their friends were, and how, because of an event like partition, that landscape was fractured. And the other thing that is really interesting and becomes very important in these conversations is to remember that partition did not only happen in August, 1947. I think we feel that it started in August and ended at the end of August and, and a whole millions of people were displaced and they migrated and then they normalized it and life went on. But that's not the case. Partition, whether it is violence, whether it is unrest, whether it is a feeling of insecurity, feelings of fear, and even mention of the word started long before August 47 and ended long after. Some people would say that partition post-partition post history has not normalized even now. If you look at certain areas of Kashmir or the Northeast or how people feel. So I think that that was really important to understand in the conversation that I couldn't only be asking about the event of partition. I had to ask about life. I had to ask about childhood. And I think that's when you start doing that, people do open up to you because they're always, always keen to talk about the long before. They're very keen. I used to eat this. I used to go to this school. This is what we studied. This is the language we spoke. I still remember how to write it. They loved that. Right? And, and just also remember that these people are old. They are often um, by themselves. Not, not always. Of course, they have families. But they want someone to listen to them. And I was there for a dedicated number of hours, however long it took, at times I missed my train back to Delhi as well, to speak to them. I didn't care how long it took, I didn't care how many pauses or how many times they cried or how many times we laughed about something else or whether we ate chai or lunch or coffee in the middle, it didn't matter. I was there to listen to their story however long it took. And that dedicated attention means something. So... Uh, on your question of how they could talk to a stranger. It's actually easier, isn't it? It's a lot easier to talk to strangers. No, in every way. In fact, try talking to your family about something as intimate as partition. It's very hard. As someone who's spoken to multiple members of her family, there is always a hesitation. And I always do, I, I always do this thing that I have a question in my mind. I go to either my, my grandmother or my grandfather or my father. And I'll always uh, sit with them for a long time. And then when they are leaving, I'll be like, Achha, listen, listen, um, I had to ask you this really important thing about your life. Um, did you see a train? Did you see this? You know, it's always like that because you're always pushing. And you're always like, okay, just maybe, how do, how do I begin? What do I ask? Uh, will they mind it? Will they shut me down? But you see, it's because you have the baggage of family and you have the baggage of memory. And there are certain things that are already cemented in your memory about your family. And sometimes when your family speaks to you, these things change. These fortified truths that you know 
change. Um, but with strangers, you don't have that baggage. So you can ask, you, you can ask with ease also, and they will tell you. But the thing is what you have to do, and you mentioned this in your, in your question, is that you have to make sure that you will tell their story the way they have told their story. That you will not, you will not contort it to match some national agenda or some personal agenda. You will tell the story in the way they want it told, which is why they have agreed to speak to you in the first place. So what I used to do is after I did the interview and, and the transcription and, and I wrote my chapters, I would always send it back to the family and say, this is what I've written. If you have any issues, let me know, we'll change it, no problem. And uh, that was, you know, particularly with Pakistani families, that was met with a lot of surprise because I don't think they, they believed how impartial I was being uh, or, or how they were, at least I tried not to have any biases towards anyone or any community or anything. And um, they appreciated that. But there was no other way to tell the story. I mean, in Pakistan, yes, I was uncomfortable in a number of situations in interviews where people mentioned violence incited by Hindus, being a Hindu. And sometimes I didn't, uh, it would confuse me to a point that sometimes I wondered whether they knew I was Hindu or not. And when I would ask, and they would say, no, no, tum to beti ho. You're, you're like a daughter, you're, it's fine. So I think that's also very interesting. And I put that into the book because it's, it's complicated. These feelings are complicated and they are often contradictory to one another as well. I don't think I've uh, wholly answered your question or maybe answered many, many fragments of it. It's very fascinating when you talk about this because there's so many questions that's you know, spinning through my head when you talk about this. For one, uh, let me just start off with the question of violence, right? Because um, I believe that, you know, just being here on this platform, it kind of indicates a class bias we possess and a, a privilege that exists with us that, well, we are quite cut off from a very hard life. We have we have our own demons to fight, which, but we don't have demons such as poverty or, you know, something like this fear of immediate violence against a family or like state pushing down on us. So, which I'm sure like uh, in your interviews, you experienced a lot. Like partition was a very difficult time wherein it was not just a, some state uh, issues of the state, but like direct communities fighting each other or there being certain violences, you being forced to leave your house behavior. I'm sure uh, as difficult as it is for the people narrating those stories to you, it is also difficult for you to capture those emotions as well. Right, to the extent that uh, experience, uh, experiencing the very pure, the very hurt, the kind of, I don't know, the pain that such events bring to your life. Right? I mean, I'm sure, uh, say, it'll be very difficult for a husband to talk about how his daughter was killed during this entire migration. Just as an So, how does that personally affect your writing process? Do you find yourself like sometimes encumbered by... The ability to write something so difficult down on a piece of paper is how does that affect you personally at all do you ever feel that you're not the fact that you've not experienced anything of that sort is hindering your process of truly capturing what that moment was for that person or that family i don't think that you will ever truly be able to capture the horror you know there are still um I'll give you an example. My, I feel like my grandfather told me a very complete story of what happened to him, my paternal grandfather. But still, when I think about it, I know how he came. I know what happened. I know where he lived. I know how he rebuilt his life. I know how he built his business. I know everything. But still, there will always be things that you don't know. How did it feel to be in a train packed like sardines? How did it really feel when traders came onto the train and dragged his father off and kept him back in Pakistan? What is that void of going to a new country without a father going to feel like? I don't know how this feels. And even if I knew how it felt, it would never be the same feeling. It will be an iteration of that feeling. So can you truly capture the magnitude, the emotion, the emotional landscape of partition? Probably no. 
all you can do is try to be as close to it as possible, which means that you need to listen. I cannot, cannot, cannot stress this enough. You need to listen to people. Uh, oral history is a process of listening. It, it is not about passing judgment. It is not even about collating experiences. It is purely a process of listening. It is entering the memory of someone listening to them, which means you need to focus on not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it. What are they stressing on? What are the words they are using? Why did my grandparents only speak to one another in Punjabi, but always speak to me in English? These little differences. Uh, when I was doing my interviews, this is what I was recording. Why does an old woman feel really sad about leaving her school, but is not so affected by the violence of partition? What does that mean about her life, right? Um, I, I heard this story once about a young girl who uh, left all her toys when she migrated from Pakistan and en route they settled in a house somewhere and she saw all these toys and she broke them because they weren't her toys and she had left her toys and you know like, I think it's, I know that the violence was uh, engulfing, so it, it swallowed everything, but sometimes these details get lost when we talk about the magnanimity of the event. And this is why oral history is so important, that you focus on these small little details. For my grandmother, the process of coming to India is not so extraordinary, but the process of leaving her home and being cheated out of family property in Northwest Frontier, being reduced to penalty there, that is far greater for her. So I think that, it, I mean, I, I, it's complicated and I've actually completely forgotten your question, but let me just finish my train of thought. Um, I think it's these small details that give you the texture of the story and what you need to focus on. So when I was in my, when I was in these interviews, I was taking notes of these kind of details, like how their expression changed or whether they became more animated at some point or whether their language changed or what they focused on. Because not everyone will focus on partition. Even though you have come to talk about partition, they will focus on other things that they want to talk about, that they think are more important. And the question is, why do you think that they're more important? And how are they connected to partition? And how are they connected to the behaviors that that were created after partition, right? Um, yeah. So uh, just just as a quick side, no, no, that's completely fine. I'm actually, uh, so that's one of the thing, reasons why I do these interviews. Uh, I'm a huge uh, cryptophile and the reason I started this podcast was because I always found it very uh, interesting to find out what authors think about their processes or about their own books or their work or what thought process goes into it. So more than what the question that I ask, it's actually more about things that you're talking about, like how it helps you figure out the texture of the story and what is exactly driving you to get there. But uh, just as a quick sidebar, so when you record these interviews, are there like audio recordings? Do you have video recordings? Do you just... On my phone. That's a very fascinating thing to know that you know you have that you have audio recordings of the entire process. So now coming to the part after the interviews, right? Like when you get eventually when you're done with the interviews you come back so you did describe that you like to work from 10 30 in the night to 3 in the morning because the largely because of the t-junction and the ability to concentrate so how that's, does this... that's just actual writing like because uh, i think there's a lot that goes in before the writing you get you do the interview right. you have to transcribe the interview often you have to translate the interview then you have to do research about the area that they're speaking about and then you right. can write right okay so, um, okay, now again, this, this, I, I know this might sound like a recursive question, but so personally, I, uh, when I was reading the book, I was, I got very emotional at different times, simply just reading about what people were going through and this thing. So how has your experience been, particularly because you're exposed to these stories continuously, right? Like it's not just an interview is the end of the process. I know it's it's your job that's what you're doing to write a book but i'm sure like it has some emotional impact on you and there might be certain events which might have a little more impact on you than the other ones and so how do you deal with this are you able to process through with it like has it happened to you that you just 
transcribing an interview and you start to cry or you just feel tears welling up inside you for no like it might not be for any good reason just because it's so heavy because that's something that i felt while going through your book so i mean i can i can only imagine what you might have felt while going through all these interviews well it just off the bat i'm not a very emotional person right uh that's one the second thing is when you're recording the interview you don't really focus so much on feeling what they are feeling right. but when you are because you're trying to extract information you're trying to get them to dig deeper into themselves and that's your main concern at that point sitting with people but when you're transcribing things and you can slow the audio down and you can really listen to what they're saying and you listen to the way that they're saying it i think that's when it affects you mm-hmm. sometimes um i don't think i i've broken down ever like that's rare that's very rare for me but it affects you in different ways like tears are not the only way you feel emotional about something right of course right emotions there are entire spectrums of emotions so you can feel anger you can feel uh shock you can feel confusion i think that a lot of times when i was transcribing the interview i would listen to something and and pause it and and say to myself like wait what did i just hear what happened at the time they buried their babies they murdered their best friend they set a house on fire did this happen and the question was not so much the fact that it happened but the question was like how did it happen how could we do this to one another so i think my emotional and and the thing is that it is so difficult for people to say these things out loud sometimes they're saying it for the first time and you can hear that in their voice you can hear the fact that they are hesitantly treading on painful memories because you have asked because you want to know if you wouldn't have asked they may not have even said it but you have asked so they have told you and so it is so difficult for them to say it that actually what you think doesn't really matter okay. it doesn't really matter but of course eventually when you've done 50 75 100 150 views the weight of those interviews bears down on you and you begin to feel um i guess kind of i don't answering your question very quickly i would say that i don't know how to deal with it yet and i i don't i haven't found a way i don't know and i know that's not the greatest thing but i'm okay. i'm trying to figure it out because um sometimes i wish that i didn't have to know about someone's story i really right. sometimes you know people tell me stories all the time they literally like email when someone meets me on even if someone sees me at a restaurant and they're like oh you wrote that book on partition i have this story to tell you you know i just happened to my family this happened or they'll they'll dm you on instagram or they'll tell you on twitter and sometimes right. i wish i wasn't the person that said oh wait let me just get out my notebook and write this down because i right. this is what i do i always do this and i i just wish i wasn't that person i wish i said oh that's great that's wonderful i'm really sad to know that happened to your family or it's wonderful that your family was able to rebuild your life end of chapter right i can't do that though i can't i never have been able to do that which means that already i can't distance myself from the event i need right. to know what happened because it may help another story emerge some other time someone right. may read it somewhere and say oh wait this happened to my family and i need right. to tell the story right but it's really heavy and it i am it's so strange i'm going to turn 31 years old tomorrow and i feel like i am like 100 years old i don't have any concept of lightness in me i don't have any concept of youth mm-hmm. i don't feel i don't feel my age because i i have i have been forced or compelled or i have agreed to mature to understand certain things that didn't happen to me Right. Uh I don't know how better to describe it and I don't want to be vain about it. So I don't think about it really to be honest. No, uh just to address your concern I don't think there's vanity for this because it, I know. A, I'm, I'm just saying when you're sitting with people it's not about you, right? right. Like because it's so difficult for them. And I know that that's unfair to me. I know it's unfair to my emotional psyche. I know it's unfair to mental health. But yeah. you're just hearing the story they've lived with it for right. for 70 74 years they've lived with it right. that cannot possibly trump how you are feeling right 
which is why you don't really matter so much except to be to be the medium with which they are they are told that's it right no and that's that's a very interesting thing that you pointed out because i think that's something most of us struggle in our lives i mean you in a very particular context with the entire stories about partition but i think uh, again coming back to the class divide that i was talking about uh, one major issue or like a point that goes out for all readers of the english language in india is that they do have a certain level of privilege in their life to be able yes, to read and understand that language so when i say that the issue the reason why i'm saying that is because this is something a lot of us go through on a daily basis wherein you would hear about a problem and not necessarily a partition problem you'd hear about poverty you'd hear about violence you'd hear about different kinds of issues during different times and obviously everyone has their own problems and anything that you personally face with regard to the same issue just trivializes so much when you hear actual real stories of people suffering through things right like i mean uh, i think i experienced this during demonetization when uh, like that was that was a, one of the first times in my like relative adult life when i actually experienced this where my problems as big as they seemed to me at that point of time were absolutely nothing compared to what people my age people i know people, or at least know of in my immediate circle were going through a lot worse and i it could never it could absolutely never ever live up to that issue like for like the way we're talking about partition today i'm i'm not too sure if it will be of the same magnitude but there are families who have those stories that who had their wealth wiped out who lost family members because of a certain event and trivial issues that you weren't able to pay for like you didn't have cash on your hand would just disappear for other people so i kind of understand where you're coming from and i guess a lot of your readers feel too but yeah on a more cheerful note uh, happy birthday in advance i guess uh Thanks. So do, do you? So do you have birthday rituals? I'm sorry, is this like not a very no, uh, no. hot talk question? Sorry, I don't. Not at all. That's so. Okay. I don't have any. Uh, but you actually, you know, now that you mention it, um, someone from my family always fights with me on my birthday. Oh. And I'm I'm a very I'm a very non <laughs> non confrontational person. Uh, I hate I hate personal conflict. It really. Uh, if i have i i don't uh, get over it very soon so i'll take i'll take a night to get over if right. if a fight happened or something happened but you know inevitably someone from my family says something to me on my birthday every year apart from right. that i don't have any uh, birthday rituals i don't uh, really care much for the right. day is just a day just probably right. it's very um, sorry underwhelming answer no that's that's perfectly fine and i think that also just goes on for the how you've matured more than your age like you're 31 feeling older like i think that that's something that just comes to you as you grow older like i've seen that with myself i've seen that with people around me so i get it like everyone's like way too excited about their birthday in the early years but and i really hope your uh, family ever were i don't think i ever was like it was always maybe when you're a child like when you're a child like 5 or 6 years old it's a big thing but when you grow older i think for me it's always just been chalo theek hai स्कूल से निकले हो तो इट्स नॉट सो बिग we've been through the first two stages right when you interview the people and then you sit down and you transcribe them how do you actually go about writing it down like putting down all this data all this information all these emotions that you've gathered on paper like uh for the most part i'm actually very very good at following the course of the interview okay so uh usually i will actually follow the interview i after everything is transcribed i have a habit of printing my transcriptions out because i just feel like i can process things better when they're in front of me i will go in and i will start to underline the bits because you can't always have everything in every interview right some things will be more poignant than others so i go in and i start to underline things that i think i want to use and sometimes the same thing will be repeated four or five times in the interview in different ways so you find a way to uh, club those together and then I follow the very natural course of the interview because it's a conversation, and I want right. my text to sound conversational. So I do that. 
Um, as I'm reading the transcript, I will begin to put down my observations of what they have said, if I have any, right next to them. So which means you have a transcript with notes. Right. Um, and those notes will be helpful to put observations in the chapter as you're writing them. Right. Sometimes when a chapter, as in this book I'm writing at the moment, chapter involves several different interviews. Remnants had one interview per chapter. This right. book I'm writing at the moment has maybe four or five interviews per chapter. So okay. you start to take out sections mm -hmm. that this section will go best with this other person's interview. And you start to find also this is a way to um, build patterns in memory. Right. So if you have four interviews about acts of friendship and kindness during partition, already you have a pattern. Right. Right. right? Uh, for instance, in this book, I have two very similar stories about how a Hindu family left their furniture with a Muslim family in the Northwest frontier province and migrated. And that furniture is still used today. In wow. a very similar instance, a Muslim family left their furniture with a Hindu family in Haryana and left from Pakistan. That furniture mm -hmm. is still used today. The furniture, the piece of furniture is exactly the same. It's a, a, a khatiya or a bed. Right. Right. And, and I think that these patterns are really interesting to put side by side. Right. You know, uh, the other thing I am very careful to do is not to overwhelm readers with violence. Because for a really long time, the conversations and images of violence during partition have populated our imagination. And we have become very comfortable with this version of partition. These are really big themes, violence, riots, migration, displacement. They're huge. They're very big words. Within them is a manifold of other words which means that there are acts of kindness, there are acts of friendship, there are acts of betrayal, there are acts of cowardice, there are acts of courage, there are acts of love. And um, I think so in, in this book I'm writing at the moment, I've consciously made a decision not to have any chapters on trauma or violence and okay. politics. Because I find that in every single interview I have done, those come in quite naturally. So where there are chapters on beginning, belonging, home, love. There are no chapters on politics and there are no chapters on violence because I just, it's going to be a, it's going to be there anyway. Okay. So I don't want to give it more importance than it, uh, it has already been given in our popular imaginations. Uh, so yeah, I think the process of writing is pretty much, I, I follow my, I follow my transcript. But of course, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting to make these observations when you're working with several different interviews. No, and it's it's very interesting when you mention uh, your uh, deliberate exclusion of politics and trauma from this book because uh, this is a conversation I was having with a friend a few days back about how uh, about how modern history, which is taught to us, is actually not very well taught and is largely a key reason why we are the way we are today. Like because people don't can't agree with you more. I yeah. honestly I cannot agree with you more enthusiastically. Yes, you're absolutely right. Right. Like I mean uh so I was I, I've uh, uh I've been because of two of my traits that I've wanted to uh you know clear the UPSC civil services. So I was prepared like I ended up reading a lot more modern Indian history and just because of my uh bibliophile nature. But most people don't really read about the partition or even know about it apart from the three or four pages that they read in like eighth or ninth grade at the end of it that, you know, there was partition of India that happened. And like from anecdotal notes, which is, as you mentioned, there were riots. Like people just know these in three lines. There were riots, there was migration, people died. And that's, and I, I feel very, uh, like, I can't describe the emotions I feel when people mention these things in that casualness and just like that one single breath they mentioned oh well, that's what partition was not like people there was migration there were people shifted from here and there and there was so much they more think it's so bad i think they, right. they think it's so far back in history that they don't they right. can't imagine it being so visceral and real and right. multi-dimensional right so uh so Achil, once the book is out there, like, I mean, I don't want to take my, uh, my listeners through the publishing process, but once the book is out there, how, how do you feel your life changed because of the book? Like, I mean, you, I know you mentioned that, you know, you have now people coming up to you in restaurants or like through DMs or on Twitter telling you, but uh, my question is actually just twofold. And it's actually the last question I want to ask you is that 
first how did you do you feel a change on your personal level to the extent that you did mention you feel a lot more mature in life and you feel that you or uh, that you've aged beyond your years but apart from that what do you think this entire the first book that you wrote has impacted you and secondly how has it changed you as a person for the outside world like how is it that your interaction with the world have changed on a personal level i think that uh, having having undergone the research and writing process for remnants it's made me a very empathetic person Mm-hmm. and for everyone i'd like to clarify empathetic is not necessarily emotional mm-hmm. empathy is when you can put yourself in someone else's shoes and try and understand what they're feeling mm-hmm. and what they went through i think i learned to listen mm-hmm. i learned to respect an entire generation of people who like my grandparents who i think i had unfairly judged for the behaviors or traits that they had acquired because of this event things like mm-hmm. penny pinching mm-hmm. hoarding frugality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anger mm-hmm. bitterness uh not every single part of their personality is colored by these emotions but it comes out in certain specific circumstances and i think that many of us unfairly judge right uh these traits when they, we don't understand they they stem from something deeper right i think also that uh and this is something i love actually I think that I have become a bridge between two sides. I have no qualms in admitting that. I really love that aspect right. about it that um when people feel like they need to know something about either India or Pakistan to do with that time they ask me. Right. I think that that is rare and it means that people of both sides where you are born and where you live and right. where you and where you are actually unable to go for the most part both sides have accepted you as someone right. who belongs to them right and i i really like that i think that is the most important thing for me to know that i have i have um people on both sides are willing to accept these narratives okay you will always have extremists on both sides and i have dealt with that in india and in pakistan i've dealt with both sides but um, the truth is the truth and the truth is what people tell you they remember right and nothing changes the validity or the enormity of their memory so that is how i feel it has she the book has changed me what was the second question uh how has your how have your interactions with the world outside changed like okay. right uh i think now people view me as that partition person <laughs> so any public <laughs> interaction i have like it's you know i mean yes okay in a restaurant yes in dms yes people know you but then it's all also random things like one time i was in defense colony uh, market and i was sitting i was standing in front of my tailor getting something uh, he was fixing something and someone comes up and they were like oh my god you've written that book on partition i have a story to tell you and i'm thinking they were standing in the middle of a market to telling me a story oh my god how am i going to record it now that was the first <laughs> thing in my mind yeah like let me just take out my recorder and record it please and I, I, this is what i think that it has changed the way that i perceive the world because you end up looking at things from i think publicly you begin to look at the world through the lens of partition not just when it happened but also how it continues to affect people yeah. and you you're i guess you inevitably seek out the word because you are so attuned to the word right. and um i guess yeah it has that's what it has done for me publicly and of course uh, the the most important thing is that it has brought people stories mm-hmm. to a level that they could never imagine it has right. brought people stories like imagine someone in australia is reading a story about someone migrating at partition or someone in sweden um it, you wouldn't believe it in the last couple of years people from countries as diverse as italy germany and canada have written theses on the stories in remnants which means that people who have no association to the event of partition are are feeling the importance right. and the gravity of these stories i think that's incredible i love it when a newspaper runs a story about someone in the book and their photograph is there and the person phones me and says maine apni tasveer dekhi aaj i love that 
because right. it, it's it's giving importance where importance is due right right and i uh, i must admit you're like very self aware about this because uh, i'll tell you an incident i experienced recently where a few days back i was talking to one of my friends and uh, i just told him about the fact that i'll be interviewing you today and uh, and i sent them a picture of the book and they're like oh wait this is that partition wali person i know this like i mean that i, I kind of get where you no. getting it from right so no no and uh, something that you mentioned about you know people from diverse countries studying the partition or the separation process and i kind of i kind of get it to the extent that what i've realized is what a lot of people treat their their own immediate history as something not as major simply because they've been so close to it like for example you'll find like you'll find indians writing theses on the american civil war and americans not really caring about it. it's it's i'm sure it's obviously they are not the same thing but so i mean the thing is that for for a long time why was indian history written by white people right 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 it's a right. perfect analogy is you're right. right we are very close to it. we we are unable to see it objectively and despite right. all of my objectivities i'm still subjective about things of course right and and but it's it's actually so very honestly anchal your book was very refreshing simply because as you mentioned right like the idea was that if you don't know about it your the further generations would obviously know lesser about it and i think this has become a very important thing like picking up like these chunks from your interview it's something that all of us associate with like the fact that you can't you don't really talk there there is a certain taboo or like this barrier that when it comes to talking to your own family about these things and that is why like i think the book resonates that much with a lot of people like not not just the people who are interviewed but people who are reading and still reaching out to you about their stories or stories they have heard it's simply because i think it's finally it feels that there is a certain area or certain area of history or a certain experience of people that is put down on paper which is very relevant is very much needed and in that sense i think your book is like It's generally like one of the most different books i've read in uh, recent times so um thank you uh, well, i do want to say that i felt like it was really important to um return history to people and going back to what you said about the curriculum right. and the way things are taught when i learned history in school i never thought that it belonged to me partition history when we were reading about partition my first instinct was not to go home and ask acha aapne ye dekha tha kya which i know some people have asked but i never asked that because i never felt like it it was never given the impression ki tum punjabi ho to ye tumhari family mein ho sakta hai exactly so i think that one of the main aims that i kept in mind while writing the book was that this is to return history back to people who have lived it so that they may feel empowered to actually talk about it nice and that's what oral history does vis-a-vis academic history right oral history is about people and memory right well uh, atil thank you so much for doing this it was lovely having you on the podcast uh, we're really looking forward to your next book um, hope we can talk thank to you soon you about so that when when that comes out when is it coming out again i'm sorry august 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 so yeah that's i think we'll probably hit you back up again and i think all your readers <laughs> are looking forward to that book thank, thank you. you so much for doing this thank you it's my pleasure Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Or uh, to check out the rest of our podcast or work, please uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel or subscribe to our podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at kitabikarwan. Uh, we do a lot of other stuff as well. We post about books. We talk to authors on Instagram lives. We discuss books on inst- different uh, platforms. So yeah, I think you might like it. Also, we do giveaways and sometimes we organize fun contests to question and answers polls. So. please reach out to us with different feedback or if you want to see us do something different and we'll get back to you thank you for listening